Welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and to, with me today, I have Morpheus Ravina. Morpheus Ravina is a gender-fluid sorcerer, artist, and writer residing in the East Bay area of California. She is a dedicant of the Morrigan with a practice rooted in animism, folk magic, and Celtic polytheism. An initiate of the Anderson Fairy tradition of witchcraft, she has practiced devotional polytheism and the magical arts for over 25 years. She is the author of The Book of the Great Queen and the Magic of the Other World, and a priest and co-founder of the Koru Karubodoa Priesthood. Morpheus makes her living as a tattoo artist, and she creates devotional artworks and sorceress crafts in a variety of media. She also practices medieval armored combat and is very fond of spears. Morpheus can be reached through her website at bansheehearts.com, and that link will be down below in the podcast description, so definitely go check out her website. Morpheus, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you here. So I always like to start out with a simple question of what does queer spirituality mean to you? Yeah. Um, you know, that's hard to pin down, but I suppose what I would say is that queer spirituality to me is um, any spirituality that is unbound by, uh, you know, from uh, kind of conventions that, that, that seek to limit um, us in terms of our our gendered experiences or our non-gendered experiences and and kind of how we walk in the world. Um, I know that sounds really vague, but you know, like as a as a gender fluid queer person, like my experience of figuring that out for myself has has been one of um, shedding limitations and boundaries. And so I think of queerness as a way of being in the world that is comfortable transgressing the borders of things that that our, our kind of social conventions like to keep apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose that translates into what I think of as queer spirituality. Yeah, I love that because I think even as a cisgender gay man, there's a lot of shedding things that deal with like toxic masculinity and what it means to be male in our society. And so I can definitely relate to that, um, yeah. that idea of sort of letting go of those limits. Um, that's really, really interesting. And of course, when Charles Harrington was on the show, we talked a lot about 
the liminality and the edges and being in that other space. And it feels very like similar to what a lot of gender fluid people experience as they sort of sort out what, what does gender mean to me? Right. Because it's kind of going beyond what society says gender is and gender roles are. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned liminality and that that's very central in my uh, experience of both gender and spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that comes up a lot in a lot of different spiritual traditions, you know, like um, around, you know, witchcraft and spirit practitioners and, you know, all these kinds of ways of, of working that often involve kind of walking between worlds and stepping into other realities and spiritual realms um, hedge riding and you know there's a lot, lot of of these practices that come back to this idea of crossing borders um, and boundaries and walking between worlds yeah definitely and liminality it's just such a such a powerful concept of course i i follow hikate myself which is very ah. much a goddess of the liminal spaces so yeah. liminality crossroads yeah, yeah, it transitions <laughs> and the underworld, all of it. So yeah. very cool. Um, so your bio mentions that you're a Celtic polytheist. I'm a yeah. diehard polytheist myself. I also have known to dabble with Odin and other deities. So okay. <laughs> um, I'm curious, though, um, and you've mentioned the Anderson fairy tradition. So how did you find your spiritual path? Like, what was your what was your journey like? Yeah, um, so I I started out as I guess sort of <laughs> instinctively discovering witchcraft, you know, like it was one of those things where as an adolescent I started just experiencing things and would, you know, be out in the woods and like chanting to the moon and not really know what I was doing, but just, you know, <laughs> something was waking. And uh, the first kind of organized stuff that I discovered around that was through um, witchcraft, um, you know, classes and things at, at you know, pagan occult bookstore, bookstores. And um, and I got into a, a, a more formal training situation through a coven rooted in the Anderson Fairy tradition. Um, yeah, and so that was my, my early background and that coven um, has a long-standing relationship with the Morrigan, who is an Irish goddess. Um, you know, it was just as part of that coven's kind of suite of, of ritual and devotional practices, we would do rituals um, honoring the Morrigan. And, and so I had some really profound experiences with the Morrigan. And um, she started to become more and more central to me in my devotional life and my spiritual practice. And um, eventually, you know, I parted ways with that coven. I have remained, you know, long, long time friends with them. But um, from that point on, the, the Morrigan really kind of like started to become more and more central in my life. And then she started bringing her family along <laughs> 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 and uh, introducing me to other, other gods and kind of, um, you know, from there, like, I suppose, you know, I will always think of myself as a witch and, and witchcraft remains really a central part of my practice, but my religious life came to revolve more around um, 
the Morrigan and other Gaelic and Celtic deities. Yeah, I, I love the winded story. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Actually, it's pretty short compared to what most people experience. <laughs> so you condensed it really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you separated the witch, witchcraft from the religious experience, yeah. because I think people conflate religion and spirituality and witchcraft and religion. And how we worship often is very different from how we practice magic. And I'm yeah, glad and that you made that Witchcraft can coexist with a lot of other religious frameworks, you know, so like there's Catholic witchcraft, there's, there, you know, there's lots of um, ways that those things can align. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you are gender fluid and a follower of the Morrigan because I have a student right now in a year long program of mine who's non-binary and, mm -hmm. and a devotee of the Morrigan. So I just thought that okay. was an interesting coincidence. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know, she's certainly, um, I feel like she is one of a group of of goddesses that certainly is like transgressive of kind of norms of femininity. Um, yeah. yeah, at least that's how I experience her. Um, I, you know, gender and the gods is a complicated topic. Like, to what extent are they truly gendered beings, and to what extent do we need to kind of organize them in that way for our own reasons? I don't know. That's a philosophical question. <laughs> Absolutely, because I, I do a lot of work with um, spirit possession and or and oracular mm -hmm. work. And, you know, it's not unusual for a gay man to carry a goddess or for mm -hmm. a woman to carry a god in that work. And so mm -hmm. the gods seem to be pretty fluid in mm -hmm. their gender in ways. Yeah, I think often they're less worried about it than we are. <laughs> I mean, I don't <laughs> want to make any blanket statements, you know, but... Um... Yeah, it, it's interesting in in the Irish mythological context where the Morrigan comes from, you know, there there is a lot of gender roles in those uh, stories and, you know, like the early Irish tales and stories like there is a lot and this certainly comes from a historical context that was, you know, pretty focused on cis normative gender roles. Um, yeah. But then you have a lot of characters and gods and goddesses that cross those boundaries and break those norms in really interesting ways. And so there's like, to me, it's like a, a tradition that has a lot of spaciousness around that and, and space for creative readings of the myths and creative understandings of the gods. Yeah, definitely. I, I love how in talking to so many queer spirit practitioners, people find those spaces in these different traditions, because it seems like every tradition and every mythology has those sort of liminal spaces that queer people seem to just sort of like naturally find and well, yeah, slot right find into. Those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. yeah, definitely. That's great. Um, so tell me a little bit about your, you're the co-founder of, and I, I, I'm struggling with pronouncing it, but Koru. Yeah, it's the Koru Kathabodua Priesthood. Yes. Great. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about, about that and, and what you do as part of that. Yeah. So um, the priesthood is a Celtic polytheist um, religious order. Um, we are centrally dedicated to the Morrigan, um, but we also have kind of a whole family of other um you know, related uh, Gaelic and Celtic gods. Um, 
I would say our, our strongest relationships are with um, the Morrigan and her sisters, you know, the other war goddesses of Ireland and Cathabodua, who is a Gaulish war goddess, who's also related to them. Um, and so, yeah, we are, we're a, we're a small initiatory order, basically, of, of devotional polytheists. Okay, and are you primarily concentrated in the in the Bay Area? Um, yeah, so the, the largest number of us um, are in California, but we do have um, some people in Seattle, some people in Texas and uh, Georgia, and I. <laughs> I'm not leaving anyone out. <laughs> okay. We have, okay. We have a few so, scattered people. <laughs> okay. So if people are interested, that's something that, that like they don't have to be in California to, to connect with your group. Yeah. You know, so like we are an initiatory order. So we're sort of for the most part closed, but we put on some public events and rituals, including online um, offerings. Like we uh, do some online lore chats and we have done online devotionals and rituals. And then we have, um, a gathering um, that we've been hosting every August um, for, uh, you know, just polytheist devotion and, and community fun. <laughs> Great. Um, out here in California. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So you, you've already got a couple of books and you have another book coming out. So tell us a little bit about the new project. Yeah. So the new book is called The Magic of the Otherworld. Um, and it is a... Um, it's like a, a framework for uh, sorcery and magical practice that's rooted in a Celtic worldview and um, Celtic polytheist kind of approach to magic. Um, so yeah, it sort of, it has chapters that, you know, build from topic to topic. So I try to start with the basics of, of um, purification and then spiritual hygiene practices and protection and, you know, basic spirit work and how to build alliances. And then, you know, from there, get into more challenging stuff like um, curse magic, um, activism and justice magic, that kind of stuff. Okay, so activism and magic, that's really interesting um, that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people are trained to figure out both how to be activists today. And, you know, I, I grew up in the era of, of the AIDS epidemic and ACT UP. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely have seen activism done very differently than like, you know, a lot of people lean heavily on Facebook and social media and, and don't really get involved personally, or they just don't have the training and know how to do that. And then yeah. I also see a lot of spiritual practitioners wanting to help their activism through their magic. So yeah, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, on magic and activism. Yeah. Um, I am a, a pretty long-term activist, you know, like my first time being out at a protest, I think, was a um, anti-war protest against the first Gulf War. <laughs> wow! In, okay, in ninety-one or whatever that was. Um, yeah, so that's been something that has uh, my practice around that has built over the years. And um, gosh, what to say about that? I I think I think that if you want to do magical activism it's kind of important to be involved in some way in on the ground efforts um i think that you know doing some work in like this world the material world what some people might call mundane efforts 
is important because it helps signal to the spirits and and the powers that you're serious um i think it helps ensure that you kind of have skin in the game in the sense um and that that all of that helps power any magical activist work that you want to do and so to me they're kind of things that they go together like i think it's a lot more effective um like if you want to do a ritual or a spell to help some kind of you know political aim or or activist effort um that is a lot more effective if you are also engaged in the on the ground work in some way and you know that yeah. doesn't have to mean marching in the street or direct action you know because like sometimes you know folks might be better suited to behind the scenes work they might be better suited to support work they might um be better suited to donating funds you know maybe they aren't physically able to be out on the street doing you know um able-bodied stuff but like just getting involved in some way for me feels like it's really important to kind of establishing that you have a stake in it yeah absolutely i think that's so important and you know I always think of like Starhawk who's been arrested. What, how many times? I mean, it's, yeah. like, we've probably all lost count by now, um, but just has always been a lifelong activist and right there on the front lines. But, um, and I think that we live in an era of sort of lazy activism right now. People like mm-hmm. consider it activists to, to just hit share or like on that meme on Facebook, but that doesn't really create any change. You've got to kind of, yeah, Get I think there is a difference more. between like awareness raising and activism. Those are two yeah. both both of those are important things and we need them both. And you know, around some of the the anarchist and protest oriented, you know, circles that I rub shoulders with, people talk about diversity of tactics. Mm-hmm. And that we we need everything. You know, all these different modes of of impact from awareness raising and educating and, you know, creating political art that shares a message and, you know, legislative work and letter writing and, um, you know, peaceful protest and less peaceful protest and direct action. And, you know, all these things are, are really important. Yeah. So you mentioned political action and right now as queer people in the US, it feels like we're very much under attack. Um, And I hear from a lot of people frustration with it because the way the system is set up, it feels like rule voice, rule people and and minorities have a stronger voice than like the urban people and the the majority um, views on things like gun rights and LGBTQ rights and all of these these issues that are really important today. So what what can queer people do if you know to to feel like they're being heard because i i know i write to my representatives all the time but here in ohio they kind of like probably file for a yeah um gosh that's a that's a big question what can queer people to do to be heard <laughs> um you know i myself i don't consider myself an organizer in terms mm-hmm. of, of activism, I'm somebody that like tries to show up and support actions that are being organized by others. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right person to say, here's what you should do. 
you know, to yeah. be heard in, in this climate of, of anti-queer stuff. Um, <laughs> um, but I guess what I would say is what I have found is really effective is when it disrupts the status quo. Yes. You know, yes. like actions that can be dismissed will be dismissed by the power structure. Um, yes. And so, I mean, I guess this is the radical in me, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know, we, but we are at a stage where we we have to disrupt. Um, yeah, and I guess you know the thing is that to get involved in activism that truly challenges things and truly forces itself to be heard, you have to be working within groups of mutual trust, right? And so, like yeah. that is about. Um, seeking out who is working on this issue in your area, who's trusted by people in your, yeah. you know, community, um, and and uh, and you know, showing up and demonstrating that you're somebody that's willing to do the work and can be trusted. Um, there's something else I was going to say about that. There are some forms of online activism that I sometimes see that that have an effect. You know, it's things like, you know, when they they do something like, you know, creating a, a snitch form that they, they want, you know, people to use to snitch on other, you know, to target, yeah. uh, you know, oppressed people or whatever. And then and then people will bomb the form with fake information to the point where it can't be used. Um, there are some like mass forms of activism like that, that, that can be helpful. But, um, I don't know. I, I suppose that I am, I'm more experienced with and more aware of the like direct action protest kind of yeah. um, space. And, and so, you know, more of my experiences are rooted there. And that's really just about like developing relationships of, of trust with networks of people around you. Yeah. Which, okay. you know, those, those, those networks and those relationships of trust, you know, also can become mutual aid and this, how we support each other and, and how we survive together, not just how we oppose, you know, the forces that yeah. threaten us, but also how we care for each other. Yeah, definitely. So, sort of finding your, your, your group, your, yeah. you know, I, I hate to use tribe sometimes because it feels like an appropriation for me to use that, but, right, um, but, but yeah, finding like your community. Your folks. Yeah. yeah. Finding your folks. Um, you know, I use the word Ken a lot to kind of mm -hmm. cover that. So yeah. finding those people that not only are there to protest and, and work with you, but also kind of, um, support you, encourage you, inspire you, all of those things that are really important. And that, and, and I think part of the problem with the reason we don't see the kind of activism that we saw, like during the AIDS epidemic, is that there's been sort of a deterioration in, in community involvement, and people don't have those groups anymore. And I think people need to find those groups for sure. Um, so have you been arrested? <laughs> I have not. Um, I have um, volunteered for actions where, you know, sometimes it'll be like, if you're willing to risk arrest, we're going to do this. 
um, who, who feels able to volunteer for that. So I, I have volunteered for that kind of thing a couple of times, but I turned, it turned out to not lead to arrests. I have not actually yeah. been arrested in, in that kind of a situation. Okay, great. Wonderful. You know, um, just to return to something you mentioned about like finding your people, it reminded me that one of the things that I find really powerful on the spiritual side of things is, is to recall that for every struggle or kind of experience that we have to deal with, there are ancestors of that struggle, right? Like whatever we're facing, um, whatever our kind of lived experiences are there are ancestors of that so there are queer ancestors there are ancestors yes of revolution there are you know ancestors to every aspect of who we are and they are there to support us and you know when we are facing these conflicts and these risks they they can be a huge help yeah i'm so glad that you that you went there with the ancestors thing because we just um had Ben Stimson on and talking about ancestor veneration. Yeah. And, and of course, I'm running the Samhain retreat focusing on queer ancestors. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, so working magic for activism, like mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what are some of the ethical concerns and, and what are some of the best ways that people can support activism through their spirituality and through their, their witchcraft? Yeah. Um, so one of the, I suppose, like when you're thinking of ethical concerns, something that comes up is like the issue of white knighting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you'll sometimes see activist efforts being shared around, you know, like magical activist efforts, like join this group spell or whatever this group working. And um, it's, it's important that that work is um led by or or you know done in such a way as it centers the actual needs of the most impacted people yeah um because otherwise it can be really counterproductive um the other thing that i would say is like just as a safety consideration that is important to keep in mind is that power structures have egregores or that you know they have kind of a spiritual (laughs) reality to them and this is true even when you know we're talking about institutions that are like nominally not magical yeah you know like the government or the police or whatever um the judicial system like (laughs) nominally not magical systems but you know the the power that flows through them and the power that they wield in the world has a spiritual reality to it as well and that means that when you try to act against those forces, you kind of really have to be prepared for um, the, you know, what they can wield. And so yeah. it's important to have magical backup and protection and, uh, you know, a like deep rank of spirit allies that you can call on. And, you know, like I, I, I like to say, like, roll deep, you know, as a magical activist, you don't want to do this alone. Yeah. Um, and and those protections are really important. Like, I think that um, just in general, like, there's an, an ethos that I see in a lot of pagan circles um, that is sort of like, who needs magical protection? Because we believe in 
you know, we're, we're, I don't know, maybe nature, nature worshipers and everything is sacred. So why would I need to be protected from that? But you know, like there's a lot of things that can harm you. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And, and when you're involved in magical activism, you are kind of choosing to confront things that, that can bring harm. And so those protections are really important. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because sometimes particularly in pagan circles, there's a sort of Pollyanna attitude towards magic and magical yeah. reality. And yeah. that can definitely come back to bite you. <laughs> so yeah. 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 No, it's true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so it's going to sound a little weird, but just something that's kind of on my mind as we're talking about this. And um, so I don't know if you read John Beckett on, uh, is yeah, it yeah, some, sometimes. Yeah. 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 So there's been some stuff about sort of, you know, the, a, a war brewing in the other world with Morrigan and strangers that are happening. So just curious what, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah. Um, I definitely have heard people talk about a war or some sort of conflict happening in the other world. Um, my experience of that is maybe a little different. Like what, something that I have in common with folks like John Beckett is, you know, many people starting between, you know, 10 to 15 years ago or so um, started getting these persistent uh, messages from the Morrigan and, you know, in, in some people's cases from other deities that they were working with. Um, but in my case, you know, this, I'm closest to the Morrigan and, and um, starting in about 2010, 2011, we started hearing these messages like she kept saying, a storm is coming. Yeah. Get ready, get ready, a storm is coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I heard those messages and um, when I started becoming more visible as, you know, a, a priestess of the Morrigan, um, I started getting emails from people randomly yeah. that were saying, she's, she's telling me this, what does it mean? Um, and that seems to have been a big sort of wave of information that um, gods like her we're trying to convey to people that went on for you know a number of years and then the message is kind of shifted to the storm is here like yeah this is happening you know you have a you have a role to play be in the fight mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um and i really see that as um you know my interpretation of that phenomenon is that it's reflective of the fact that we are coping we are sort of in the midst of a worldwide resurgence of fascism and authoritarianism yes. and yeah. also with climate change and the realities of struggle that that brings with it and those two things are interlinked you know in part yes. of like part of the the resurgence of of authoritarianism is coming from people who who know um the changes they they recognize that changes are coming and they basically only want to take care of their own <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah yeah so i think that like the gods have been very cognizant and they saw this coming and uh for for me that's kind of the big struggle that's the big 
picture that we are in the midst of and it is reflected in the other world um in the yeah. spirit world um i think that you know there's a lot of chaos that spills over yeah absolutely yeah definitely and i've heard i've heard messages like this from from the gods myself for some mm -hmm. time so very yeah. familiar with it yeah but yeah and it definitely we are kind of in a midst where it feels like a battle for sort of the soul of our nation in a way like who who do who are we going to be as a people are we going to be people who you know dislike people who are different from us and you know don't help people like refugees and things like that or are we going to be the the people that that are there and open and willing to to help when help is needed and yeah. it feels like a, a definite struggle around that yeah i mean i definitely think that like <laughs> that there's um there's a sense of like an unveiling and a dropping of illusions and or i think we have an opportunity i guess is what i should say we have an opportunity to really confront who we are and yeah. and and you know particularly for the united states what we've been which has never been a, you know a place of freedom for everyone or a place of liberty for everyone and you're like we have to we have to fight to become that yeah if if that's what we care about because it's not something we've ever had right right and part of that is admitting that we've never had that which is yeah. what's so hard for some people yeah yeah definitely so yeah um kind of circling back to like how all of this relates to queer people because definitely it feels mm -hmm. like queer people are are under a lot of attack what yeah. what's sort of your message to the queer community of, of what what should they be focusing on right now or what's sort of your message um that you'd want <laughs> to send to the queer community gosh um well you know i think one thing that i find helpful and strengthening and um nourishing is to remember that we've always been here yeah right like as far back as you can look there have been queer people and gender variant people like we are part of the soul of humanity and yeah. we've always been here and we always will be here like they cannot eradicate us right it's not a thing you know like as much as it can feel really terrifying to think about this like wave of anti-queer anti-trans you know like some of it quite genocidal these you know attempts to like legislate people out of existence and out of the public sphere that's really terrifying to contemplate but also i find it really helpful to to kind of reground myself in the knowledge that we've always been here, we always will be here. Every yeah. generation, more queer, queer people are born. We cannot be eradicated because we are just part of human diversity. Yeah. And, you know, that's not necessarily a guide for action, but for me, it feels like it, it's nourishing and restorative to, to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. It's very affirming to mm -hmm. to realize, you know, we've always been here. You're not an anomaly or <laughs> something that could just be erased because we have yeah. always been here and always will be. 
Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I definitely see that as something that can be very inspiring and, and validating and affirming. So thank you for that. Um, so your book, The Magic of the Other World, about magic and activism, and when when does it come out? Um, it, it is already landing at bookstores, okay. and some people's pre-orders are arriving, but the official release date is um, Saturday. <laughs> okay, okay. So so by the time this goes to, to press, yeah. it will be out. So definitely go to your preferably independent bookstore and, yep. and get The Magic of the Other World. Okay, great. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So as we're uh, winding down on our time here, I always like to ask, you know, is there anything that you wanted to say to listeners that we didn't get a chance to cover yet? Gosh. Um, you know, I, I suppose like something that, that occurs to me is that I think that queer spirituality and kind of coming into yourself, um, a lot of it is learning to trust your instincts. And also, you know, that has been true for me as a polytheist too, because we live inside of a dominant overculture that wants to kind of constantly gaslight us about spiritual realities, right? Because like the, the belief system that we live within is this culture that believes that you know spiritual realities don't exist or if they do it's only within this kind of monotheistic world and so whatever you're experiencing of the spirit world of the gods of you know magic is not real and and so we are sort of constantly receiving this this message that you're imagining it it's not real and you know that's a that's a kind of cultural gaslighting and you know it i think it for queer people is also potentially kind of um cumulative with the kind of gaslighting we have about our queer experiences you know like when when you're discovering your queerness your gender identity your sexuality it's a lot of that's not that's not how you're supposed to be. That's not real. You know, what you're, what you're, what you're experiencing isn't the correct way to be. And so it's, it's like a, a cumulative, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a phase. Yeah. <laughs> All these messages are basically like just different kinds of gaslighting. And so like to, to, to live within that and resist it, you have to be willing to trust yourself and trust your own experiences and and allow them to stand you know to allow them to have um to be understood as knowledge you know yeah yeah i think that is that's been helpful to me both as a queer person and as a spirit practitioner yeah i'm glad that you brought that up because that gaslighting around spirituality not being real and the experiences not being real it, it also sort of serves to pigeonhole queer people in the only correct spirituality for you is this one that rejects who you are at your mm-hmm. core, which of course is why so many queer people end up rejecting all spirituality because they yeah. don't, they don't know that there are other ways to explore their spirituality. Yeah. And, and that, if yeah. their experience of religion always involved a lot of, you know, moralistic psychological brutality. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. then yeah, let's, you know, who wants that? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we don't know early on that, hey, there's all other ways to experience spirituality. There's other ways to experience the gods, mm-hmm. um, that there's more than one even yeah. <laughs> that you can experience. I mean, I like to, I yeah. like to say, and this is another one of my touchstones is returning yeah. to this, this idea that like, if you look at the breadth and the depth of human history, yeah, most cultures in most places and most times on this planet have understood that there is a spirit world. Yes, there are non physical realities that you know, these things exist, and we can interact with them and they inform part of the human experience. And, and, um, you know, these cultures, like the one we're living in now that is very like materialistic spiritual realities don't exist that kind of thing it's a tiny anomaly in history yeah yeah it's also and even, an anom- even inside of that you can scratch the surface of any atheistic or monotheistic culture and you will find folk magic happening even inside of it yes so this yeah. is another one of these things that's just part of who humans are and it will yeah. always re-emerge. Yeah, absolutely. I think even monotheism is kind of a, you know, a, a blip in the history, mm-hmm. really. If you really look at all the cultures over all yeah. of human history, it's it's a blip. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And many, yeah. many, many monotheisms are not quite as monotheistic as the label on the tin implies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because Christianity really fits more of a dualism than a monotheism anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I definitely love that that idea of being gaslighted by the society. You know, I do human design and human design is all about deconditioning all of those mm. like social expectations and things to be who you are authentically. Um, mm-hmm. So it resonates very strongly with me. Um any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners? I mean, I suppose that sort of was my parting thought. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> be gay, do crime. <laughs> be gay, do crime. I love it. I love it. I'm going to be wild. Gonna make that a, be unbelievable gonna make that a quote post on my instagram and like attribute it to you be gay do crime be be difficult to erase and uh yeah yeah be loud be Be seen yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) love it love it so your website is bansheearts.com and people can get in touch with you do you have any social handles you want to promote uh yeah so i'm um i'm morpheus ravenna on most of the social medias uh you know instagram facebook uh tumblr stuff like that um and then um i have a second instagram for my tattoo portfolio that's under banshee arts Okay, great. But you can find it all if you just go to my website. If you go to bansheearts.com, you can find me there. Okay, great. And we will uh, definitely include the link down below as well as the names of your books and their, you know, where to get them and all of that good stuff. So thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really great conversation and it certainly gave me a lot to think about as well around activism and magic and all of it really. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's great talking with you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. But before I go, I want to tell you about a very special retreat that I'm running this October. It's called the Sacred Ken Samhain. And Samhain is the traditional time in pagan and witchcraft in which we honor our ancestors. And so if you've been looking for an opportunity to get together in queer sacred space over a three-day weekend and honor our queer spirit ancestors, all of those people who have gone before us and made strides for our equality, this is an opportunity that you won't want to miss. The Sacred Ken process is also a process that I've developed involving workshops and exercises to really create a stronger, more tightly knit and supportive, loving community among gay and bi men. This is going to be a fantastic weekend full of deep conversations, rituals, drumming, dancing, bonfires, nature walks, everything that you could possibly want in a queer spiritual retreat. So go check it out. If you go to my website, queerspirituality.net, you'll find it linked right on the homepage. You can get all the details there. There's a payment plan. So if you can't register all at once, you can make payments between now and October. And there's no additional fees or interest to do that. It's something I offer just because I know that sometimes it makes it more manageable for people. Also, for listeners of this podcast, I have a very special offer. If you register with the code PODCAST2023, you will get $50 off of your registration. So that's my gift to my listeners for registering for the Sacred Samhain, Sacred Kin Samhain Weekend Retreat. So go out there, check it out, queerspirituality.net, and register today because spaces are filling up. Hope to see you there. Bright blessings. Thank you for listening. This has been the Queer Spirituality Podcast with Julian Crossan Hill. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating on whatever site you get your podcasts at. Rating the show allows other people to discover it and be exposed to these ideas around queer spirituality. You can also find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www queerspirituality.net. You can also there find links to the Queer Spirituality Facebook group, my various social channels where you can get involved in the discussion or send me your feedback or questions or things you'd like to hear on the show. Thank you again for listening and for your support. Bright blessings.